0: G'day and welcome to the Drive Able Podcast where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on our socials. Just search Drive-Able underscore podcast. Drive Able Podcast. We've got heaps of contents now we've got lots of interviews go back and make sure you have a listen to some of our older episodes uh older episodes there's some real little gems in there for you to to, to gather and put forward in your plan for the future thanks brad how are you going this episode
1: is going to be a cracker hey everyone we have john davey um coming up He's a wonderful character. Um, he's got a great story, so listen carefully. There's a lot of gold there, great attitude. Um, he was basically told by everybody that he can't be driving um, and all of these different things that he's doing now, it's not possible. Yeah, he's doing all of them and many more, um, but I don't really want to take away much more from the interview, so let's get right into the interview and hear it all from him directly. So, Brad, are you ready for it?
0: Yeah, mate, let's get this started. Let's
1: get it going. Driving is something many take for granted, but when someone has altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. Driving with a disability doesn't mean you have to drive an old clapped-out car with farm-like machinery, and relying on a wheelchair doesn't mean waiting for hours and then being in the back of a maxi-access cab getting car sick. The Drivable podcast is designed to introduce and explore driving aids for people with disabilities vehicle modifications, the NDIS, research, medical guidelines, driving techniques and much much more. The Drivable podcast is to help you be informed and be in control of your own independence so you can experience freedom through driving safely and reliably. I'm Ali and with me is Brad and together we have over 30 years of experience in disability and driving. Enough of the intros, let's get into it.
0: All right, everybody, welcome to the Drive Able podcast. We are talking with John today. John, give us a little bit of an introduction of who you are, and then also give us a bit of an introduction about your disability, and then we'll get into the driving side of it all. Mm, Well, um, John from uh, Melbourne, Box Hill
2: South. Um, I guess one point is I'm an exception that breaks the general rule um put into context it was a very interesting birthday week in 2018 in april i turned 55 on monday and by saturday
0: was an induced coma i see what happened there what what was the well was it a big party or did you drink too much or what what, how big how big was your 55th you'd, you'd like to think it was many of those
2: things but no Very normal week, went to work for all of the days except uh, Anzac Day, which was the day off, which was nice. Came home from work Thursday, very normal, cooked dinner as I used to do, or I do again now. Um, Woke up two o'clock Friday morning. So the deep wee hours of the morning, shivering, sweating, couldn't get comfortable. That familiar feeling came on. So I took myself to the bathroom, vomited profusely, went back to bed, felt very ordinary for, well, the majority of Friday. And by about eight o'clock after I'd taken myself out of the spare room and decided to go back to the normal bed, um, the wife looked at me and said, you're not right. Mm. So what do you do eight o'clock on a Friday evening? Well, luckily we, well, Deb, rang nurses on call, who were very good. They um, talked to her symptoms, etc. Put the phone to me, said, "Ah, it sounds like gastro, bit of a bug going around." You'll be right. Put the phone back to Deb and said, uh, "We've called an ambulance. We're not sure what it could be, but you know, probably just a bug. But best to get him down to an emergency centre and sort him out." So, ambulance. Sirens, everything was very exciting. I was a little bit not lucid at the time. Got to the emergency centre. The doctors looked at me and just went, "Mm, yeah, you're not right. eh? There's Mm -hmm. nothing that we can put our finger on yet. But look, everything's all over the charts. You're not a well boy. Look, we're going to give you a lot of drugs. Not sure what it is, but we hope with the drugs we're going to give you. It'll knock whatever it is on the head and we'll find out what it was. But because we don't know what it's going to do, we think we'd probably like to put you to sleep. Well, I thought that's a good idea. Give me an anaesthetic. Give me the mm-hmm. drugs. I'll go home tomorrow. Life is good. Well, their idea of a sleep was a two and a half week coma. I see. It turned out that uh, the series of drugs they gave me, bless them, um, the second dose was a antiviral for a thing called meningococcal. Mm. Now, this is where I'm the exception to the rule. If you see all the ads, you see everything in publications. Meningococcal is something that young children get, or teenagers possibly. Well, I'm living proof that adults can get it too. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, they sorted out the fact that I had meningococcal after a whole range of drugs and I my body... Basically, shut down purple welts and open wounds all over the, uh, the, the, the place from my toes to my forehead. And, yep, two and a half weeks later, I woke up and uh, noticed that, well, my, my, my feet and my hands were black and not very responsive. Because if the meningococcal doesn't kill you, which it can do within 24 hours, mm. um, unfortunately, septicemia. Set in. So if you look at my red medical records, it says meningococcal septicemia. Now, as I said, if meningococcal doesn't kill you, the septicemia has a little bit of a, uh, a damaging effect on the fact that uh, it stuffs you around a bit. So mm-hmm. through that, um, I lost both legs and then my arms, well, below my wrists, no hands. Mm-hmm. Um, all the all result of the body shutting down. And the uh, the body is very clever. It says, send all the good blood to the brain and the heart and everything else is thrown under a bus. And so progressively in those two weeks, my body shut down, my kidneys failed, I had a heart attack. Now, the mm. best place to have a heart attack is in hospital when you're surrounded by doctors. Um, but they pulled me from the brink, but the septicemia...
0: Uh, tended to make its mark and so the the mark was uh the black blackened limbs and non-responsive and they then once you woke up did they then tell you that you have to go back under again to to have these amputated is that am I on the right track here
2: you're on the right track unfortunately the time frame was a a little longer than that it was Mm -hmm. um Five weeks in ICU to get me strong enough to take me off to another hospital to go on dialysis to get my kidneys back working, mm. um, a hyperbaric chamber just to see if they could stop the uh, the skin dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to wait until such time, and they call it demarcation, when the body decides when it's going to stop dying. And so it got to a certain stage, I said, oh, well, I think you, you, you're there now. We're going to take you off below the knees. We're going to take your your arms off, up to the wrist. Um, I'm a failed below-knee amputee. Mm -hmm. because After they put my legs off, they realised that my knees were cactus from a misspent youth. And so I went back in and had the rest of the legs taken off above the knee.
0: And then to, I think to 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 what type of level the rest of the legs you said is it mid thigh is it right up at the hip is it just above no, the I'm, knee? No, I'm a bit like length is
2: strength. I, I'm above knee, pretty much above knee. Yep. I've got um, I've still got my my thighs, but uh, so, fifteen or sixteen procedures later, uh, to close up and to clean up, and I caught some bacterial infections mm-hmm. while I was there. So 101 days at uh, the Alfred Hospital in, in Melbourne, after rehab for two weeks, which doesn't sound long, but the problem there is I got another infection. So I had to go back to the Alfred for four weeks and then about uh, six, eight weeks at rehab again until, so I got sick on the 28th of April and I came home on the 21st of December. Wow. Yeah. So um,
1: do you know what um, causes
2: this? Uh, well, yes, catching, catching the meningococcal. Uh, look, no, it, it's, depending on what statistics you read or, or, or look at, there is a percentage of people who carry the meningococcal bacteria dormant in the back of their throat, and obviously not know about it, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if you get coughed on or you, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, as I apparently was, but what place and what time, we don't know. Yeah. So it could have been anything in the, the week before or the week leading up to. Um, I was just, yeah, wrong place, wrong time and caught the bug. Yeah, okay, wow. It's just... Uh...
0: And life before the bug? What was life before the bug like, John? where what were you doing with life and and
2: how i was comfortably moving into the stage of becoming a grumpy old man i think you know and happily do doing so because that's you know it's a rite of passage um i was working i've been working well almost 30 years in the dispute resolution negotiation type field uh for the last 13 years i've Uh, I was working as an investigator for a federal government agency. Um, So look, normal middle-aged stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing out of the ordinary. When you came out of um, hospital, what was the um, adjustment then? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first adjustment was it took three days for my wife to convince me that I wasn't in Sydney or Canberra. For some reason, that's where I was. You know, I knew I was somewhere. But uh, uh, Deb finally convinced me, she said, remember when you came down to the hospital because you were sick that time? Oh, yeah, that was ages ago. Yeah, no, no, that was three and four weeks ago when you're still here. So yeah. uh, the adjustment of one, working out where I was, eh, that was, uh, the, that. it came, it went. I realised, yeah. of course, okay, I'm in hospital and, ooh, a bit of a mess, but, Look, if you talk about an adjustment or when the penny dropped or what have you, look, very early in the, in the piece that I see you, uh, Deb and I talked about, look, the fundamental premise is shit happens. It's happened to us. How are we going to deal with it?
0: Hmm.
2: Fundamentally, there's two ways you can deal with any type of shit that goes on. Can I say that on your podcast? I'm not you, sure sure. you sure can. You sure can. Absolutely. Oh, yep. We're not censored. Um Look, it's very simplistically, there's two ways you can go. Now, you can either become the victim and say, why me? Whose fault is it? Who can I sue? Why? Question all sorts of things. And I personally feel that if you go down that track after a while, you'll probably just be in a fetal position in bed and you don't want to get up in the morning and that leads to all sorts of terrible and dark thoughts and and, and, and measures. So the other way, of course, is, well, shit's happened. How are we going to deal with it? Well, one hurdle at a time. What do we need to do to get out of where we are and what we're doing? So every step of the way, we just looked at as the next hurdle.
1: Mm. So interesting
2: so did yeah. you always um
1: do you feel that you always had that general outlook um like personality in general or did this shock uh, change in your personality
2: um well, and- probably not and a lot of people have said oh my goodness we couldn't have handled it the way you have and whatever and i said well you don't know yeah. i actually believe you probably can and do again it's that it's that thought process, go down or up. Um, I think anybody probably will handle it. But you put in that situation, and maybe it's always been a personality trait, I don't know, but I, I sometimes talk about people saying, oh, well, I shouldn't sweat the little stuff because, you know, oh, what will happen if something terrible happens? And I said, well, no, you should sweat the little stuff, but in proportion, yeah. you know. If you've got this deadline for work, if you've got a paper to report, uh, a report to make, or, or whatever. Yes, sweat on it, but be proportionate. You know, don't lose your stuff because of that. Because one day your legs might fall off. And mm. the way you handle little stuff may be an indication of the way you'll handle the bigger stuff when it
0: comes. Yeah. So, in your that's that's recovery good, journey, good point. in your recovery journey, um, when did when did driving actually become part of the? Of the picture, when when did it when did it hit home that driving might be affected, and yeah. when when was it something that you decided to do something about? And Were you always kind of into cars? Because he sent us a photo, which we'll put up online um,
1: of like a nice older car. So, are you like a car enthusiast or something?
2: Oh look, I've always enjoyed driving. I love cars. Yes, As an enthusiast? i probably not. I'm again midlife crisis in my mid-30s. I bought a 1966 and Roadster because that was just for me the ultimate in, you know, midlife crisis cars, uh, which I had for 25, 30 years. And again, didn't spend enough money on it when I should have. And finally, when I did and got all the rust cut out and put in a brilliant sound system and then had uh, the engine worked on, took it for a drive one weekend and again the next weekend my legs fell off. So, you know, uh, when did it, the penny drop with regard to driving? Look, probably we go back one step. Uh, while I was in the ICU, I had a whole lot of doctors visiting, of course, and they called in a specialist who looked at me and, and kind of, as he was walking past, said, He'll never walk again. Mm-hmm. To which my wife, bless her, stopped him, looked at him and said, you will not tell me what my husband can and cannot do. That's my job, (laughs) which is pretty sure enough. So, again, this positive, if you want to call it, that um, attitude with regard to it's not what I can't do. I will try to do whatever I need to do to achieve my normal. And I I don't classify myself as disabled. Mm -hmm. I'm differently abled. I still try to achieve my norm, and to do that, I do um, the normal things, but in a different way. So uh, achieving whatever is normal, uh, I, I go about it in a different way now. So when it came to things like driving or the thought of will I ever drive again, one thing I realised very quickly is I probably won't get back into a two-seater 1966 Datsun Roadster without power steering, manual transmission. Uh, no, I'll never drive that car again. So I sold it. We tried to solve, so sold it, used the money to buy my current vehicle, um, which I started formulating what kind of car I wanted while I was still at, um, in hospital. Um, it had to be obviously something that I could drive, so automatic. never really liked automatics, but I'm now driving an automatic. Um, It needed to, uh, to fulfil my my dreams of driving, it had to be convertible, so I have that wind in my lack of hair still. Um, And I looked at a few different vehicles and came across the Mercedes CLK, Mm -hmm. which is a two-door but very wide doors, so I can open to a 45 degree angle. I can get a chair up to it. Um, Given it was at the time, one of the high end Mercedes, it had automatic everything. So this is back in 2004, mind you, the car was made. Automatic wipers, automatic headlights, automatic roof. Um, All the things I thought that I could probably, you know, use and, and to my advantage. And then, of course, yeah, get it uh, get it to the right people
0: to get it converted so I can actually drive it. Did you go through all of those decision-making aspects about the car by yourself? Were these all things that you did by yourself? Or did you have help through maybe an OT or uh, another car modifier at that stage to, to, to help no, you make decisions at, about the car?
2: No, at that stage, I was... Um, formulating all of this in my head i had a lot of time in hospital you know mm-hmm. eight months in hospital lying around doing nothing um, until i got to rehab but you have a lot of time to think and so it was a good uh, challenge i thought for me to to work out what it was going to be mm-hmm. at one stage it was going to be a uh, jeep wrangler again you can take the top off and it's solid and it's a very simple car too simple um, and not very safe so now all of those thoughts were kind of these are the things i wanted I needed to have this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. By the time it came to buying when I had talked to an O2, and he did suggest that, well, the age of the car might be a problem with regard to NDIS, as in the modifications, but we sold it to the NDIS given the fact that it was, in its time, um, very much advanced with regard to its automatic Windscreen wipers, headlights, this, that, and the other, and and readily convertible for my needs. And so, how long
1: um, can I just ask on a technical level what did yep. you, what did you do to
2: sell it to the NDIS? What what, what specifically do you think that you did? Um, well, with regard to the modifications or the, the the money for the modifications, now, as you would know, and I guess people who watch. Uh, this realised that NDOS is a very good, um, in principle, it's a sensational scheme, okay? But the basic premise is they won't buy you a new house, but they will help modify your existing house to make it livable. They won't buy you a new car, but they will, hopefully, pay for modifications so you can drive it. So i purchased the car, I had an OT driving instructor who we put me back in the car when I was able to and got my license back within six weeks. And I was in the process of then going to the NDIS saying, well, this is the vehicle, a standard NDIS application, if you like. These are the reasons, these are my goals, this is what I want to do, this is what we need to do to get there. And it worked
1: over so did that go through um like first go or in terms of convincing them yeah i mean i'm more the reason why i'm asking more about this is um this is a general bit of feedback that could help a lot of people with their applications is because one of the issues as you just mentioned is the older cars and so tips and tricks on how to sell your older car to the ndis if they do ask those questions would be good so i guess yeah what did you specifically have to do? Like, did you write them anything further or did they just accept it first go? Like, was there a good justification there?
2: Well, look, the first tip would be, get yourself a good OT. You know, speak softly and carry an OT. Uh, They've hopefully gone through this process many times. They know what the NDIS like and what they don't like. Again, the age of the car thing, it was raised in passing in as far as oh you do know there are certain you know limits with regard to the age of a car now i'm not sure if we convinced them per se but i had a very low mileage mercedes benz um yep 2004 model so it was just i think a bit older than they would prefer but the longevity of that kind of vehicle the fact that it was pristine in you know, every respect, it had less than um, 80K mm. on the clock, which is not even, you know, run in for a yeah. Mercedes. Yeah. Um, we just presented the facts as they were. Now this car will last me another 10 years or, or what have you, you know, this mm. car is what it is. It's a, a very good example of that vehicle. Um, the report from the, uh, the mechanic before I bought it, I had it done thoroughly the roadworthy came through without any problem uh no i i can't say that we had any major kickback from the ndis what
1: you've done though is you've um you have done the you've gone to the nth degree in providing all the information up front so that's really good because in terms of getting those mechanic reports those justifications those are those little little bits and pieces those details which i think a lot of people might miss on and will cause them to jump over those hurdles but 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 having a thought about that and and demonstrating to them first up that hey look here's the evidence that this vehicle is a good vehicle that is going to last these 10 years yeah um, probably meant that yeah it was just a passing mention rather than a huge barrier which can well,
2: exactly right and look a good ot will know this and have done or gone through the ringer with the ndis previously now the first couple of uh, attempts they might have had arguments or or issues Like any, you know, we all love a good process. And like any good process, once you know what and how, and again, a good OT will know these. I don't think they're tricks. They are just, this is how we cover all bases. These are the boxes we need to tick. And yes, they might question the age of the car. Well, we'll present them with the fact that this car is of such a standard that
0: they're reasonable sometimes you know, common sense sometimes does prevail. Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. And you've pointed out that you have covered all of the bases. So the the NDIS do have guidelines, but they do have a list of other things that you need to do if you don't, if you have a vehicle that is older than five uh, years and older than 80,000 kilometres, then they've got a tick box process that you have to work through. And one of those are, NRMA or RAA or, or wherever you live the local um, RACV, RACV uh, whichever state you're in the local the local um, automobile authority um, doing one of their safety checks and then also a mechanics report and also that other evidence that it's in really good order that's that's yep. a really good um Piece of advice coming from from this interview. So thank yeah. you for sharing that journey with us, John. And
1: I'll, I'll just highlight a couple of bits around that as well. I guess because we've this is a theme that's commonly come up in previous interviews. The the good OT um, it seems to be a regular theme. Um, so basically, like an OT that when and when we say good OT, the word good is subjective. So the idea <clears throat> the idea behind the good OT, and I guess in our podcast, is someone who knows what they're doing in this industry and is not blindly, you know, going. I- yeah, I can prescribe this stuff when they haven't really done the proper, you know, um, due diligence and education. And the other thing which is really um, interesting to me is this common theme of preparing and reading the documents and reading the guidelines because it's it's really interesting. We there's all this general negative media about oh, how hard it is to get through NDIS and how hard these barriers are, and they keep telling no, and you you see these themes, but then when we interview people, the people that have taken the time to read everything like there's a lot of people like yourself that have said yeah no we had no problems no barriers we just did everything they asked and we read the guidelines and we presented everything they needed and they kicked it off and and wow. so i think that's a very big thing to highlight is you are getting free money i guess in a way from the government you are getting money from the government um they don't want to give away money for nothing for free they want to justify that and they've got a clear set of procedures and processes and i guess if you do your research and understand that process then you're going to work with them rather than against them, you know? And that's a real good,
2: I think, highlight to have. Yeah, look, one of the issues with the NDIS um, is, look, it is a bureaucracy. It's a federal government department. Now, sadly, for all my sins, the last 15 years of my working life, I worked for a large or medium-sized government bureaucracy. I knew what to expect. Now, the big difference though, is I can advocate for myself. And I'm not are not scared, embarrassed, or ashamed to do it. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, mm-hmm. though, who can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
2: they're reliant on third parties, and sometimes the third party they're reliant upon is a a person who may have five, ten, or a dozen other third parties who they are working for or working through, and. Then you get to the stage where are they actually advocating for me uh, as strongly as they could. And, you know, as I said before, I don't classify myself as uh, disabled, differently abled. Thank you very much. But I'm not shying away from there are people who sadly aren't able to advocate for themselves. Yeah. So mm. the, the, the point there is not only just getting a good OT, but making sure you get the best advocacy that you can through a person who is going to go to bat for you yeah,
1: yeah um, that's actually another common thing things like you know the mums or the families or just just people around you that are fighting, battling for you and, and supporting you when you don't have that voice so yeah, yeah kind of like having that team around you
0: I'll, I'll just drag people's attention to a previous podcast that we've done with uh, Natalie Wade as well from uh, a lawyer who is in the disability space. So if you need to go back and listen to that episode, make sure you do because she she really highlights that advocacy side of things as well. And, and if things aren't going well, where to go to next uh, to get that support that you need? So uh, make sure that you go back and, and search for the Natalie Wade episode if you're tuning into this one and and go geez i wish i had some more support in this area so let's uh,
1: let's get into the driving Tell yes the, the driving how you came about the controls and bits and pieces and so on
2: um well as well driving always part of the plan again things i can do nothing can stop me from those things um through a, a fellow caught amp i was put in touch with a um an occupational therapist slash driving instructor. Uh, Nick Marshall was uh, from OT Solutions. Brilliant bloke here. Um, he met with me. We talked about my goals, etc., which was get me on the road. And he looked and thought, well, okay, there is a couple of obvious <laughs> things missing at the moment, your legs and your hands. Um, what kind of controls could we look at what we can do? Uh, he went about his research as he does um, came back a couple of weeks later in his golf with uh, I've got these uh, got this idea if you look at my car it looks like it's got too many coffee cup holders so he thought we can put instead of the uh, universal you know, golf ball on the steering wheel which I couldn't use um, he goes well, why don't we put your stump into a cup or a, a, a whatever you want to call it which was great so we went away and actually had a, um, a series of cups Not 3D printed. They were actually, um, I don't know where, though. They were made in Italy. And whatever process they went through was, you know, exacting and brilliant. And he he came to me two weeks later and said, look, I've got these. They're brilliant. Now, I think maybe because they were made in Italy, the the coffee cup holder type um, device that we got was actually, unfortunately, the size of a um, espresso coffee cup. If I had thumbs, I couldn't feet. get them into it. There was no way known. So we went, another, uh, he went to another manufacturer and got these uh, cups made up. Um, you guys would know more of the technical details with regard to my go-fast stick that I use and my stop stick. But um, it, it works really well. I've got a coffee cup holder on my steering wheel, which I put a stump into. I've got my go-fast stick on the uh, right-hand side, which I put... I stump into a coffee cup holder and pull down for go fast and push forward for stop.
0: So uh, just to unpack that a little bit for our <laughs> listeners, um, if if you want to see this, please uh, go and have a look at our show notes. We'll share some photos that John has uh, thankfully shared with us. So it will make a little bit more sense. It is a basically a customized spinner knob, which John puts the end of his stump into on the steering wheel. And it literally looks like a, a coffee cup holder, but you wouldn't want to put a coffee cup in it because no. it will be, the coffee would be all over your lap. It actually faces him on his steering wheel. And then the other one is a hand control. So his go fast stick or go slow stick is a hand control. And uh, he's got another one of those positioned uh, on the hand control um, to to make the car go forwards and 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 stop. John, is how do push you... pat
1: then? That would be push back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah and this is, this it,
1: is it is it um do you know where which brand it is?
0: Yeah nah. no. I do. I do. I've seen the photo. Dude, it looks dude, like man. a it looks like an e-radio um which may have been some supplied through PME or Guido Simplex uh, going by the pictures there, John, but it's electronic, is that correct?
2: uh look yes it's electronic in as far as the go fast part mm-hmm. uh and then the, it's actually mechanically connected to the brake pedal yes. uh, which is a nice feel in itself you can actually you know feel the pedal going down mm. through, your, through your arm it's
1: probably my guess is it's probably guido simplex if they're, they're yeah. made the adaptations adaptions in italy because guido simplex is out of italy and i know ot solutions work with pme and yeah. so um yeah. So, yeah, but that's great. It's a, it's um, I mean, we just wanted to break down the technical so other people know mm-hmm. what, what they're um, what we're talking about in terms of the hand control type. Um, so learning how to use it, I guess, and, and getting all that, how was that?
2: Oh, look, uh, the, the first, my, my first trip, um, was very slow. Um, it was let's say a year, probably 18 months since I, you know, my legs fell off, that I'd got in a car and I was in control of it all by myself, albeit with uh, Nick by my side, controlling things if they went wrong. Uh, look, it was scary. It was um, brilliant. But, mm-hmm. oh, there was there's some sweating going on. Um, but I, I, I had a fortnightly lesson. So every two weeks, Nick would come up, we'd uh, get the car going. By the end of it, I was driving for an hour and a half without any issue at all. And he said, well, normally I'd suggest we go uh, to retest for your license after X amount of lessons or what have you, but look, I'm actually going to leave. Um, I'm taking a a couple of weeks off. Uh, so when we should have been doing, I'm not going to be here. Do you want to do it next week? Oh, okay. So, um, I think I had four lessons in the car Mm -hmm. and, uh, took my test and, and, and passed I was criticized for not going merging onto a freeway fast enough, mm-hmm. which back in the day, wouldn't have been the case. So, you know, there's uh, lessons to be learned, but, uh, no, look, it's, uh, it's an unbelievable feeling to be, or to be able to touch that level of independence. Um, the, the process hasn't finished yet because at the moment I, I drive in ever
0: increasing circles, uh, because I don't have a wheelchair that I can actually put in the car. This was one of my questions. You mentioned it earlier. You got, you got a big wide door, uh, yep. enough to be able to get the wheelchair nice and close. So I'm assuming that you do a, a somewhat of a slide transfer from, from wheelchair yeah, well, to car seat. Another reason for
2: the car choice was the, uh, the level of the, uh, the Mercedes seat is at the same level as my wheelchair, my power chair, and mm-hmm. most other chairs. So, yeah, I just um, slide across. Yeah, No slide board required. Do you have prosthetics at all? I do. I have uh, a set of very good-looking legs that I can walk on now, which okay. is, is great, except I'll never be able to drive with them. Are they? Uh, have they got knee joints? Uh, well, yes, but given my level of upper limb... Uh, lacking, Uh, I won't be able to drive with legs Mm -hmm. and that's fine because I don't need to Um, I also have a set of bionic arms Uh, part of the process I went through at the Alfred was uh, I was part of a program for um, a two prong approach it's called TMR and they actually take every nerve they can find from the bits they're about to take off and reinsert them into the muscles into my forearm or what have you And again, I said two two reasons. The theory with phantom pain and amputees is that if you don't do something with the nerves, they continue to grow. But if they're not doing anything, they get very angry and they mutate and they think that might cause phantom pain or be one of the causes. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect of it is um, my thumb or my fingers and all the nerves from there uh, sitting into my uh, forearm mean that i can put on a bionic device which picks up the signal from my brain Mm -hmm. and uh with a very very clever computer turns out that i can now manipulate my fingers so i'm in the kitchen
0: yeah that's wonderful stuff and um yeah look there's there's a lot of people that would um want to try out their prosthetics for driving is that ever have ever been something that's passed through your head in regards to the hand controls or, or or that coffee cup spinner knob that you've got? Yeah, well, we'd probably have, well we'd have to change the coffee cups. Mm, sure. Yeah. Uh, look,
2: no. In as far as as much as I'm happy at this stage, again, it's only been a couple of years um, with my manipulation of my bionic hands. Um, I don't think I'd like to have it connected to a steering wheel and and then the other hand onto my go fast stick, because as good as my control might be, it's not foolproof. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of threw my mind going, oh, if I'm making a big turn on a hairpin and all of a sudden my my arm falls out of the socket, I've got this device sitting off my steering wheel and I don't know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So no, it's, it's not something that I, again, I don't need to because what
0: I've got works perfectly. Yeah. And I think that's a very important point is that it needs to work reliably. And um, yes, you might be able to use your prosthetics to make the go fast stick work, um, but you also need to be able to do it reliably. And that's, that's where an OT can, can help you discover those type of things. And, and but, but we take your own advice as well, because you know your body better than anyone else, John. Hmm what it's what's... actually a good
1: point to raise also because one of the things that we mentioned before is there's a lot of new products and a lot of fancy products coming mm. in and people can emotionally get kind of um wooed by those products and want all the latest fandangled stuff because we've seen that a lot um when people come in especially when it's ndis funding in their mind they might think oh we're getting a little bit of an extra freebie so they'll go oh, i'll give me this extra option or this option and because um, it just looks good and fancy, but it's actually can be cumbersome and not suitable. Um, so yeah, it's also important to raise.
0: John, at the moment you said you uh, drive in ever increasing circles. Do people have to meet you wherever you are with your wheelchair? Is that, are you have you returned to work or or those type of things or? Yeah, like... no, I haven't, I haven't returned to work at this stage. I'm, I'm on extended leave. I think I'm semi-retired. I just don't
2: think I've realized that yet. <laughs> um, Look, when we go out into public or you know, into the environs, if my partner's not with me, we have a, um, a lightweight uh, TI chair for being in the public, and, and Deb pushes me around or I self propel, but it folds the wrong way and it's too big to get into the car and it's too cumbersome to lift over my body to put into the seat. Um, so, no, I, I'm good at drive throughs. Um, I, I drive for my own pleasure. Uh, um, you said ever increasing circles as I did, but uh, with lockdown, I've, I've got the five kilometer run down pretty pat. Um, and look, yeah, that, that's I'm limited at the moment because when I get to somewhere, I either have to have a coffee in the car or get yeah, meet somebody and we we sit and talk or we go for a drive. So,
0: can I, the can ultimate... I- can I just yeah. unpack this a little bit? We're, yeah. we're, we're hopeful that some NDIS delegates listen to this. Mm. How important is driving to you, even though when you get to a um, location, you actually can't get out of a car at this stage? How? Try and unpack that for us so people understand why that's still important, even though that solution of getting a wheelchair in and out of the car at this stage hasn't been met
2: well look there are two aspects to that the driving aspect mm-hmm. me being able to at the moment and at the moment i need assistance i i drive my power chair to the car get in and my, my poor long-suffering wife removes the power chair out of the the way so i can go but once i go i can go i'm you're free i'm driving i'm yeah i'm free, you know, I'm driving Mm -hmm. I'm doing something I I love doing, Um, I'm doing it in a different way but I'm still doing it and that in itself, that level of independence, um, it was a goal from day one, you know we we talk about our NDIS plan and our goals and this and that and whatever it was always to get back into a car so that was a goal from before I left hospital and it's still in my plan because every now and then I, gee I need a reversing camera for that car Thank you, NDIS. Yes. I paid for that. Um, so the, just the independence and the feeling of being able to do something that everybody else thought would not happen or, or we might have not thought was possible, well, I'm there. So that that in itself is a, a huge, well, not an achievement, but I've met that goal
0: mm-hmm.
2: now.
1: I think you I think can build momentum as well to... And, and, and oh, to
2: do anything else. Like, Again, you know, it's... Like- It's not what I can't do, it's what I can do and how I need to go about to do it. Yeah. And I would suggest to anybody else who's thinking about it or it's a bit too hard or what have you, no, 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 have a go. If something that you enjoy doing, unpack it, as you say. Look at all the aspects of what it is you want to do to be normal, but what tool or what, help or what device you might need to be able to achieve that you'd be surprised if you you look through it and you get the right help there are all manner of things that you might thought you could not do that you can and if it's purely for enjoyment there's nothing wrong with that either Mm -hmm. so the fact that I drive in circles because I can't get out of the car well that's going to be rectified um we went back to the NDIS quite promptly and said well you've be nice enough to give me all this money to get into a car. Thanks very much. And I can drive it, that's awesome. Uh, but that's all I can do. Okay. I need a new chair, and you've already paid for two. Thank you very much. But they don't meet my needs. It's not fit for purpose. So we're looking. Well, we're not looking, we're getting a RGA Tigger FX mm-hmm. wheelchair. Uh, it's been scripted, it's it's been made as we speak in England somewhere. Um that chair is so light. And so compact, once you take the wheels off and fold it up, it actually fits into overhead luggage in a plane. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, the wheels don't. Oh, no, they don't. But the frame itself does. So that's how compact it uh, can fold into. And it's as light as. So I have no trouble at all lifting it across my body, putting in
0: the passenger seat. Can I? I'm just putting my OT hat here on. Yeah. Um, how do you get the wheels off? Well, you'd know most
2: uh, wheelchair uh, wheels have, you know, you, you push the uh, button, button in, in the middle. Yep. So I, I, I tip a wheelchair on its side. Yep. And press it. Yep. Pull it up. Put it in the car. Yeah.
0: Right? And, and, and right. you can do that without a, because for most, it would be the thumb action and, well, and, for and sticking most, their yes. finger, fingers around the wires. For those that the, have the them, wires. Yes, yes that's right. right. So.
2: But no, yeah. I, I managed to do it with just a standard, push button, Excellent. if you want to call it. But no, no, it gets better. When we were scripting my chair, mm-hmm. um, the the OT or the wheelchair expert, uh, Tony, said, oh, would it be better if we had a little tab on it? So you could just push the tab, which unlocks the wheel. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So uh, little, little tips like that. And, and again, you talk to the right people, you get the right advice. And they say, oh, we had a similar thing. We did this. Brilliant. So yeah. when I get the chair in the next few weeks, Christmas we have, um that will the, the level of independence and, and and my being able to get into the car by myself, out of the car by myself. It might take some time in the mm. first few weeks, but I can now go up the shops instead of taking my you know power chair and going up the shops. I'll drive.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. I reckon that leads us into our final question, Ali. What do you think?
2: That's what I was
1: thinking. It's a great way to finish it up and uh, last message. So, yeah.
0: So we ask this to all of the people that we interview and we would like you to answer this one's uh, about when you got your license from the time when you got your license back. Um, we know that cars are more than just getting from A to B. And for you, it's from A to A around in a circle sometimes. <laughs> but um, what is something that you do in your car now or something you've done in in the recent past that's a little bit unusual or a little bit fun that, uh, that you'd like to share with us? Mm, I guess it's not
2: something that I've done. I think it's something that I... Can't do, Um, and I've I've told my friends if they see me driving down the road and um, don't think I'm being rude if I don't wave. Uh, Yep. So I I don't (laughs) wave um, to press the horn. Mm -hmm. So I was never an aggressive driver as such, but there were times where I might have done the horn thing to somebody who was giving me the, uh, the shits. So, um, you, you know, and that's an automatic thing. You, know, you get angry, you press the horn. Now, all my indicators, windscreen wipers, and the horn and the lights are connected to a button in my headrest. And it's a, uh, just a, a process whereby I hit it once and the headlights go on high beam. I'm not sure why they put that as number one. Number two is left. Number three is right. Number four is the horn. Now, by the time I get angry at somebody and I've gone through that, they're either gone or the moment's past, and so I, I I don't use my horn either as much as I sometimes like to. Anger management but, class. That's there. your yeah. well, the anger management. I don't need it anymore <laughs> because yeah, the, the, the
0: technology has defeated me with regard to anger horn
2: management. Uh,
0: John, absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you. And um, like I said uh, previously, we've uh, you, you've shared some photos. with, with us and we're gonna put those photos up as part of the show notes. So you can actually look at the coffee cup holders um, that you use for the go fast stick, your hand control, but also for the for the spinner knob to make the steering wheel turn. And then mm-hmm. you've also shared a picture of your headrest as well, uh, which houses the buttons for being able to do your indication and put your lights on and, and do your horn um, if you if you get that far down the track well that's
2: um, right for the eagle-eyed uh, viewer as well if you put that picture and you'll notice that the the key fob is actually in my armrest between the seat. i noticed that actually yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because um one of the things we you know go trial and error is to try to get a mercedes key fob or any key fob into a little hole behind the steering wheel uh, takes more dexterity than I think a black belt in yoga could uh, uh, do. It, again, it's just something they, they, oh, we can change that. So I now start my code. It's like a Saab, the keys in the middle of the car, you know. Mm-hmm. So little touches like that, the experts uh, um, are able to, you know, Independence Automotive, down Caram Downs, I'd suggest to anybody in need, um, really good at the job, Anything that came up as a problem, they seem to have a solution or thought of one. So, yeah, little things like that.
1: Yeah, they um, actually, I've, um, I know Ryan uh, really well. He's really yeah. as well. So, um, and, and extremely talented. I've never seen anyone, the way that those guys work, the stuff
2: that they've created, um, yep. really awesome. So, well, look, one of the first things I said to them was, We'll do what you need to do, but it's a really nice car. And I don't want to have all these sorts of did some bobs hanging out so it just looks ridiculously slapdash there's three buttons beside the gear selector that do certain things there's the you know the the, the changed fob there's all these other things that put in place and you would look in my car and say oh that's what's out of place here other than the coffee cup holders yeah yeah so no brilliant work yeah yeah, all right
0: john thank you very much john yeah my pleasure gentlemen Great pleasure talking to you. For for our listeners, hang around. What we're going to do after the short break is Ali and I are going to unpack some of the things that we learned from uh, John. But, John, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, it was a great pleasure to talk to you. Drive safe. And, um, yeah, thanks very much once again.
2: My pleasure. And uh, take care, all of you. Cheers. We'll see you next time.
0: Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is the part of the podcast where Ellie and I break down what was discussed with our, our guest. Today, we had John and John talk through his quadruple amput- amputations and, and how he drives with hand controls and the meaning that that has for him, how, how much meaning getting out and about in his car, even if he can't um, get his wheelchair in and out at this stage. Uh, but what the meaning of that actually is to be able to be independent and go for a drive and and be by himself in his car. And I, I thought we should start there, Ali, about that, that meaning of, of being in a car. Yes,
1: it's really interesting, actually, because um, when he was talking about that, it's it's a it's a part of, um, I guess, this whole NDIS thing that that. Is quite challenging to kind of quantify sometimes, um, particularly in the, um, you know, like like from a mathematical point of view and justification point of view. Um, it's it's interesting though something that I've been thinking about, um, and it's it's actually related. Which depending on when this thing comes out, um, may not be sort of relevant. But um, we are uh, like right now in Sydney. I'm in a lockdown, right, and have been for about six weeks, and. Compared to the last time we were in a lockdown, um, the sentiment is a lot lower and people are a lot more negative, and so business is doing a lot tougher. Um, and in the first one, um, the government, because there was a nationwide lockdown, the federal government came through with like this JobKeeper thing, and they had a solution for everyone. So people were positive in general, and when people are positive and they have a positive outlook then they can, their mind is free to do things and contribute positively towards community, right? Mm. The community can thrive. And we saw that economically within our community straight after the the government put in this process. And now what we're seeing in Sydney in particular, because it's not a federal thing, and they they don't have this kind of job keeper thing, the economy of Sydney is massively going down, whereas last time it didn't. And so I guess that was what I was thinking when he was mentioning this thing and the meaning of that and having that, ability to go out just have that mindset of positivity um that then leaks into all parts of your life and into your community and benefits your community you know and 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 has a financial a massive financial benefit just like i i could demonstrate with this whole covid thing you know like it's um, it's really interesting
0: yeah we're we're hoping to get uh, angela burnt on uh and to talk about a study that she did about um the the impact hand controls has on, on social inclusion and, and putting a value on that. So we're really hopeful of getting that in, but just to highlight what John said is that he can go through drive throughs. So he's, he's giving back to the community by being able to go out, get himself a coffee, go through a drive through, get a meal, um, and, and be part of the community by himself and have that independence and not have to rely on somebody to help him out. And, and that's something that just shouldn't be overlooked um, yeah, yeah. at any stage. And, and uh, going right back to one of our very early um, interviews with Dee, and she talked about an impact statement. And uh, that's where those impact statements are, are really, really important when you're dealing with the NDIS. Um, that inner meaning what what does it mean to you to be able to do this to be able to drive to be able to be in a car what what does it mean to you to be able to do that and um, having that emotional side of it um, having that inner meaning that that yeah that internal why rather than just a physical why as in it'll get me to and from work what else does it mean
1: yeah, I think that's, uh, the thing is, is that from even, you could do any research on that, the whole fundamental philosophy, baseline philosophy of the NDIS is around that, is around community, building the community, people being all active within the community. And there is clear demonstrations that when more people are participating within that community, the community is financially better off. It's healthily, it's more healthy. It's, it's thriving in multiple ways by having more people that are there actively operating there so so um so yeah I guess that's why I thought it was a really good point um and it's really like I, I think that in the future as NDIS gets more experience there will definitely be some kind of financial value to that because I think that's where the big big value comes is that is that if I'm getting something that I that means important to me I can get out there and and drive and 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 even going back to when he was initially speaking about doing his research what you could tell is he was generally a bit of a car so that's probably why he was enthusiastic about doing this stuff and, and, mm. researching. and if people can meet their passions then they can thrive. I mean, one thing I just thought of was um, Nick Tiago that we interviewed, you know, his, his passion is, is arcade games and, and the old school um, things. And he's thriving because he's able to experience that passion, you know, and, and explore that passion, you know, so that's, those are the, the key things to really understand.
0: And think about what that does to your mental health and then think about what long-term impact that has on and you were just mentioning about being in lockdown what uh, long term impact does that have on the hospital system in regards to to that flow on effect of being isolated in in your own home And uh, they're yeah. all they're all important things to be to be oh, considered. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on
1: week seven of lockdown it's uh, it's not cool being uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, and no, I think that was a really, really big, important
0: point. To the other thing that uh, we spoke about talking about selling it to the NDIS was his, he had an older car that didn't meet the NDIS guidelines. But the thing that really came out through the interview was that he ticked all the boxes that NDIS delegates needed to be able to show that his car was worthwhile funding for. Yeah, yeah. giving giving the money over to put these modifications in because it's going to be value for money and uh, he he had all the boxes ticked through through uh, his ot and uh, working through that process
1: yeah and he it, this one thing to actually highlight um, because he mentioned about how he works has worked in the government before and so he's got to be bit mm-hmm. of how it works and and he said something about he mentioned something in passing about figure out the process and that's all it is and, and I guess me personally, I've had a lot of experience working with government as well. And generally speaking, um, it's a process. Like, they're, 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 you may not agree with processes they have, but they have a process and they need to maintain, um, I guess, a consistency, almost robotic-like consistency um, in order to be consistent with the entire community, the millions of people that are living here. So understanding that philosophy, I guess, and that that perspective, and going all right, all right, I just need to tick those boxes and just really be laser focused on that, seems to be really, um, you know, like getting the success. But but actually, what um, John mentioned, in terms of he's lucky because he's got that kind of ability to understand and advocate for himself, is also something that we can't discount. And um, and and again. As we keep building on this stuff, the people that have got that community around them, the people around them, the friends, the family, the mums, the dads that are advocating, um, you need to build that team. You know, it's a, you need to build that community around you in order to move
0: forward. Yeah, and if you haven't, then you need to um, get that in and and find those people that can support you. I mean, John highlighted uh, what was it, Vic Marshall from uh, Nick Marshall from uh, OT Solutions is his OT there. Uh, but then he also highlighted his uh, mods team that can can uh, did the modifications to his car, uh, Ryan and so forth. Um, yeah. They getting that team behind you that does have the experience is vital and um, I think that's coming out over and over and over again. We didn't design the uh, podcast to, to be highlighting that at the start. it was more about, sharing stories to to motivate people to, to think about driving and, and how much does it mean and and what type of solutions are people utilizing out there to to give people ideas and and inspiration but one of the underlying theme there is is make sure that you you get the people that that know what they're doing and that have got experience in this area so they can help you out
1: yeah and i guess this whole good ot thing keeps coming up and um and yeah that's a really really important you know and, and i i sit we hear it time and time again i guess and it's um it's something i guess i want to challenge people out there that if you're head, butting heads with the ot if the ot is you know creating dramas for you and you're not seeing eye to eye um maybe time to talk to another one you know um they may not be the right one for you or the right one for this particular product or whatever so um so do yeah. research
0: do your research do your research. Yeah. Do, do ask questions before your initial consult. How much experience does they do they have, or, or um, you know, is this the area that they focus in on, or, or ask those questions. The same as if you were going to get a bathroom quote, you kind of ask those questions and you get that feeling of, of whether they can help you. Same same in this area as well. There's 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 differences between um, OTs, modifiers, um, other other people that are out there to help, make sure that you you, you do your research and and get the people that are, are the right fit for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So like the way I, I tend to sort of suggest that is, as I said, it's um, if you feel like it's just not going in the direction you think it should be going, um, that's just, yeah, one way to do it, one way to ask those questions. Like, well, this is kind of what I wasn't expecting. This wasn't the path I wanted to go down with my life. Mm-hmm. feel that you're being told what to do. Um, that could be, yeah, a bit of a flag as well. So um, but the signs that he was mentioning, I thought there were some things there um, that have also come up in other interviews which I think signify to you that you've, you're working with someone who's good. Um, so one of the things was this person was going out and doing research on solutions, you know, like they were almost getting excited on various different things I can get for this guy, getting them made and trialed and tested. To me, those are signs. That the person is good because they're going and doing their research. They're going and going that extra mile. Whereas if you go there and they're like, "Oh, sorry, no, I don't know anything about that. Never seen anything like you." Um, you know, whatever. Like, we can try this hand control. Maybe not. Whatever. So the point is, is you can tell the enthusiasm if the person kind of wants to work with you and develop and try and find those solutions. That's probably a sign that it's a pretty good OT, and that was pretty impressive to me.
0: Yeah. All right. I, I think we should. Uh we'll leave it there on that note. I think I want to thank John one more time um, for what he shared and um, he's given us permission to get back in contact with him again in the future. And we can unpack the solution about getting in and out of the car and, and, you know, touch base with him about his uh, lightweight wheelchair. And it's um, just even that little simple um tip hopefully uh, someone might find use out of it about putting a a tab that goes over the button in the middle so he can press it with the end of his stump rather than pressing it with with a thumb that's what we do this podcast for so hopefully you're getting enjoyment out of it if you are enjoying it make sure you press that like button press the subscribe button and uh and let us know with some comments and some feedbacks that you're enjoying it Um, and if you've got some feedback for us we welcome that as well. So make sure that you hit us up with a message on um, either the Facebook page, just search Drive Able Podcast and um, or through the channels, SoundCloud or um, Google Podcasts or, or um, Apple. It doesn't matter where you listen to it. Make sure that you share a note with us. We'll get it. And um, we'll make sure that we pay attention and uh, give that back.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, thanks very much, Brad.
0: Yeah, and as we say in every episode, if you have any queries about what you can do and what will work for you, make sure you get in contact with your local team, your mobility dealer, and set yourself up with a trial because, as we say in every episode, trials really do put you in the driver's seat. Until next time, we'll see, see you then. Time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able Podcast with Brad Williams and Aliak Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate, and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability, or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes, or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Driveable Podcast for more information.